My wife is here. Our baby's here, kind of like in the womb. So that's exciting. Uh, but for those of you who don't know me, my name's Miles Cheadle. And uh, me and my wife, we. Cheadle. Cheetos. Ah, kind of. That's close. With the L, though. Cheetle. Mm -hmm. Cheetos way cooler. That was my whole childhood, as people called me Miles Cheeto. I'll respond to anything. But me and my wife, we uh, hang out with the, the college and adult class just down the road. And so uh, Brandon Briscoe, the pastor there, he was actually a teacher in my high school. Uh, and whenever I was a student uh, in high school, he was intentional to build relationships with people like me and with people like a lot of people that you see in our college class. And he used it as a platform to, to preach the gospel and then to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so I'm so thankful for Pastor Brandon. He is really the only reason that I'm here. He invited me to come and see and end up changing my life. And so I praise God for that. Uh, now, me and Lisa, we've been here for, I've been here almost 10 years now. Uh, and God's done so much. I mean, I'm a completely different person. Brian saw who I was coming in, and God just grown me in so many different ways. Uh, and now uh, I get to lead the Friends of International Ministry here uh, at Midtown Baptist Temple. And so what we do is we build relationships uh, and minister to internationals that live here in Kansas City. Uh, and it is awesome. We get to, to meet and interact with people from all over the world. Uh, a lot of students come to study at some of the local universities and we get an opportunity to, to build genuine relationships, no transactions, right? They're just genuine relationships. And through that, man, I can't help but share what God's done in my life. And so there's awesome opportunities to, to share uh, the gospel and to share who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in my life. And through that, we've seen many come to saving grace relationships with Jesus Christ, and now we're even seeing churches planted abroad because of uh, the Friends of International Ministry. And so God's used it in a great way here, and now we're seeing internationally, right? So if you think about it, pray for Pastor Andrew Wong as he's preparing to plant a church in Vietnam. Uh, pray for us, me and not Lisa, but we've got a small team that's going to, to Kenya on Sunday, no, Saturday. So, yeah, pretty shortly we'll be headed out to, to Kenya, and Jeanette is there and she's another, you know, FOI ambassador that's returned home. And so we're trusting God for uh, a church in Nairobi, Kenya as well. And so God's doing great things. We're excited about it. Um, but yeah, that, that's where we're at. Today we're going to be shifting gears. Uh, Pastor Mitch told me that you guys have been camping out in the Gospels and really kind of zeroing in and looking at some of the questions that Jesus was asking during his earthly ministry. And uh, I tuned in uh, to the, the past message and man, that is a deep well to draw from. Oh my gosh, you guys are, are blessed. Uh, today we're going to shift gears a little bit and instead of hanging out in the Gospels, we're going to go to the Old Testament. And so feel free if you have a Bible to turn to the book of Joshua. We're going to be hanging out in Joshua chapter 20. How, what, do you guys, what time do you guys usually wrap up? Around noon. Cool. 
It's my kind of man. Thank you, Dennis. <laughs> right. Dennis said, well, perfect. So we're going to be in Joshua chapter 20, and we're going to consider, really, it's kind of a sobering topic, but it's a very simple one, right? I'm a simple man. The Bible is both a simple book, but also an incredibly deep book. And so we're going to learn that God is our refuge, right? This is a, a simple concept. It's not some new revelation to blow your mind. Uh, but the Apostle Paul, one of the things that he was in the habit of doing was putting people in remembrance of simple truths, right? And I think that the, the deeper understanding that we, that we have of simple truths, uh, really the, the better off we are for it. And so today I want to remind you, or, or maybe share with you for the first time, that, that God desires to be your refuge, right? And that word refuge is a word that many of us are kind of growing more and more familiar with, uh, or maybe being introduced to for the first time uh, with war breaking out in Europe, right? Uh, a lot of us have been able to see right before our eyes uh, war happening in the Ukraine. And with that, we're seeing this crazy refugee crisis. I think about uh, troops being withdrawn from uh, Afghanistan and, again, a crazy refugee crisis coming off of the heels of that. Uh, me and Lisa, we just got back from Italy a week ago today. And while we were in Venice, we got to meet with one of our friends from uh, Romania. And so she lives in Bucharest, which is the capital city in Romania, and that's very, very close to the Ukraine. And so she was telling us and just kind of recounting stories of waves of refugees that she was seeing come through Bucharest as they're being relocated to, to different places throughout Europe and throughout the world, right? And so this is something that a lot of us are seeing. I feel like it's something that I've been inundated with. I just read a, a book, or I'm in the middle of a book right now called Pfizer. And it's this great book uh, that looks at the aftermath of the Vietnam War. And it has this really kind of unique kind of vantage point that sheds light on the realities of these Vietnamese refugees uh, and the struggles that they face as they were settling in the United States. Uh, on the flight back from Italy, as uh, watching uh, a documentary called Flee. And it gave really just kind of this uh, account of an Afghani refugee uh, as he found a asylum in Denmark and his whole story of leaving Afghanistan and then eventually settling in Denmark and so you know we could read these documentaries we can uh, watch these movies from the comfort of our homes and kind of feel a little bit removed from all these things right but me and my wife we live in the Northeast and so the part of town that we live in it's not something that we can really escape we can walk through our neighborhood yeah and, and we can see and meet neighbors and people People from Burma, from the Congo, from Iraq, from Somalia, from Sudan, from, from all over the world that have happened just to find refuge and asylum and to find a new home in the United States and here in Kansas City, right? And so I'm sharing all these things. You're like, great, refugees, refuge. What does this have to do with anything, right? Well, today we're going to be looking at Joshua chapter 20. And in Joshua chapter 20, we see that the children of Israel, uh, they're coming in to possess the land. And we see that Joshua, he divided the land for an inheritance, right? So Moses, he, he led them out of Egypt. Joshua is leading them into the promised land. And so the first part of Joshua, we see them crossing the river, right? Uh, so they're crossing the Jordan. And then we see them go to town and have some incredible battles. And now they're parsing out the land for an inheritance. And as they're doing this, God is intentional to remind Joshua of a conversation that he had with Moses. 
And in Numbers 35, we see that God instructs Moses to appoint six cities before the whole nation to be called cities of refuge, right? And so in verses 1 through 3, we see uh, the Lord reminding Joshua of this, saying, Speak to the children of Israel saying, Appoint out for you cities of refuge, whereof I spake unto you by the hand of Moses, that the slayer that killeth any person unawares and unwittingly may flee thither, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. Right? And so this is the passage that we'll be kind of camping out in today. It's really kind of a, an obscure kind of passage uh, in our Bible. Uh, But in it, uh, we're going to find some just incredible truths, hopefully, that we can apply to our lives, right? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in and try to make sense of this passage. Lord, I I do thank you for uh, what you're doing here. I thank you for the the, the freedoms that we have here. I thank you that, man, people find refuge in this country, and that we get to build relationships. And Lord, we pray that they would find their refuge in you. And so, Lord, as we just consider your word, we pray that we could see that today. Uh, We also want to pray for the team in Toronto, uh, just that you'd protect unity on that team. Uh, Lord, we pray that it would be fruitful. We pray that they'd be just uh, sensitive to to your leading. Uh, And Lord, that you would just protect them in in their travels and as they do uh, the work of an evangelist. And so, Lord, we just pray that you'd be glorified through the message today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Okay, so this is a weird passage, right? Verses 1 through 3, we're seeing that he's basically setting up these cities of refuge. He picks six cities out, and he's telling Joshua, Hey, remember this thing, this instruction that I gave to Moses. And he's calling them to to point these cities of refuge. And this isn't something to be overlooked in our Bible. It seems like an obscure passage. You're like, man, I've read Joshua before. I've never seen this, right? And it's because it's hidden in, you know, a bunch of names and other things that you probably glossed over. Uh, But these cities of refuge, they're mentioned in five separate passages throughout our Bible. We see it for the first time in Numbers 35, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, in Joshua 20, in Joshua 21, and in 1 Chronicles 6. And so this is isn't just kind of a brief mention. This is a, a reoccurring topic that comes up in the Old Testament. And we see that word refuge, it's mentioned 46 times in your Bible. And out of those 46 times that's mentioned, 20 of them are in reference to these cities of refuge, right? And so this is an idea, this is a topic that God wants to make sure that you don't miss and that you see very, very clearly. And so in verses 1 through 3, it really outlines the purpose of these cities of refuge. Uh, Essentially, if a man kills someone unawares, so do you guys know what it means to kill someone unawares? You accidentally killed someone. Like, ah! So manslaughter, essentially, right? You didn't intentionally, not with malice, but you accidentally killed someone. So this is a horrible thing. He's saying, hey, if you killed someone unawares, then you're to flee to one of these six cities. And there you're going to find refuge, right? So in these six cities, you'd find refuge from the Avenger of Blood. Dun, dun, dun. Doesn't that sound terrifying? The Avenger of Blood. But essentially, in these honor-shame cultures, this idea of a a blood avenger makes perfect sense. Essentially, it'd be uh, a life for a life. So if you killed my brother, then as the the, the nearest kin, I'm responsible for, for killing you, right? You cut his life short, so you get your life cut short. And that sounds maybe very kind of 
devastating, barbaric, I, I don't know, but uh, it was essentially an honor killing, right? You, you stole the honor, the life of my brother, and so I have to avenge his honor and his life by, by killing you. And so, lest you be kind of killed or, or caught by a disgruntled family member, after unintentionally killing someone, you would immediately flee. You'd immediately run for one of these six cities of refuge. In verse 4 through 6, it kind of outlines the protocol. So, I run to these cities, what do I do when I get there? In verse 4 it says, when he, hath, uh, he that doth flee unto one of these cities shall stand at the entering of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer unto his hand, because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment, and until the death of the high priest that shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come unto his own city, and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. So in verses 4 through 6, it outlines kind of the protocol upon reaching these cities. So the first thing that you do whenever you come to the gates of the city is you would declare your case before the elders, right? You'd come to the gates, all the elders would be in the gates and you tell them, I killed someone by accident, I need refuge, right? You would declare your case before the elders. And the elders would receive the slayer, which again, how metal is that, right? So they'd receive the slayer, this person that killed someone unintentionally, and they'd provide for him a place of dwelling amongst them. And if the avenger of blood, if this person uh, that, that represents the family uh, of the slain comes to, to, to kill or to take the life of the slayer, then the, the elders of the city are forbidden to turn him over, right? Instead, this man would live in the city until a proper hearing is organized. And if he indeed you know, killed this man by accident, if it wasn't intentional, uh, then the slayer would remain in this city of refuge until he died or until the death of the high priest. Right? So if he killed this man, even after the trial, if it turns out, yeah, he, he did it by accident, this was not intentional murder, then he still had to remain in this city of refuge for the rest of his life. So he'd leave his family, he'd leave his work, he'd leave his home, and he would take up residence in this city until he died or until the death of the high priest. This is a crazy passage, right? It's like, wait, what? How did I miss this? This is crazy. Right? So if you keep reading, they go on to identify these cities. Uh, and they say it clearly amongst the whole congregation so that everybody can hear it, so that everybody knows what's going on, so everybody can identify where these six cities are, right? In verse 7 it says, And they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, and Mount uh, Nephtal, uh, Shechem and Mount Ephraim, uh, and Kirajeth uh, Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountain of Judah. And on the other side, uh, Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth and Gilead in the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities appointed for all the children of Israel, 
and for the train and for the stranger that sojourneth among them, that whosoever killeth any person at unawares might flee thither and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. So here in verses seven through nine, God identifies uh, six cities of refuge. Right? He picks. Here we go. He picks Kadesh, he picks Shechem, he picks Hebron, Bezer, Ramoth, and Golan. And so I've included uh, a map here to see, get, I'm a visual guy, right? So we can get a visual uh, of kind of where are these things, where they're located uh, in terms of, of the land. And whenever you look at a map, you can make some, some big observations, right? So we see that on both sides of the river, we've got three cities. Uh, and we see that they're strategically located where they're accessible to all people, right? And so if you look at it, Kadesh is on the northwest, Hebron is on the southwest, Shechem's in the center to the west, Ramoth is in the center to the east, Bezer's in the south to the east, and Golan is in the north to the east. And again, these cities, they're strategically located so that one is within reach of anyone, no matter where they reside in the land. And so they're strategically located to be accessible to all people. That's very, very important, right? They're strategically located to be accessible to all people. It's said that you can make it to one of these cities within a half a day's journey. And so if you killed someone, you want to make a beeline. And it's important to know that these are accessible to everybody, no matter where you reside in the land. Next, we see that these cities are strategically located in high elevations, right? We can look at uh, verses 7, and uh, if you look at the topographical map, you can see that all these cities are on hilltops. They're on mountaintops, right? They're, they're at high elevations, and they could be clearly seen from a distance. That's important, right? I, I know where I'm going. I could see the city as I'm fleeing for it. And we see that these cities are also strategically chosen as Levite cities. And, and this is really pretty interesting. You could see this uh, really as you go into Joshua 21, uh, and they talk about the cities for the tribe of Levi. Uh, but as you study the Old Testament, and really in the book of Joshua, we're seeing them the, divide the land for an inheritance, right? And we see amongst that division that all the tribes of Israel receive land for their inheritance, except for the tribe of Levi. Right? So instead of receiving land for their inheritance, we see that the tribe of Levi, uh, they're given residence in 48 different cities throughout the, the whole land. Right? So they don't have a centralized location for all of them to meet. Instead, the tribe of Levi, uh, they're individually scattered throughout the whole land of Israel. And they're allowed to live in 48 different cities. These are the, the Levite cities that they would take up residence. And these six cities all happen to be a Levite city. They all happen to be a Levite city. And remember, the Levites, they're set apart as priests, aren't they? And so they're given over to various aspects of, of the temple worship. They're to be familiar with the law in terms of its instruction and practice. And so all these cities, they're holy cities. And they're set apart and sanctified for a specific work. 
And so this is already kind of an, an interesting study, right? We're, we're just looking at it, and, and really we've walked through the passes uh, expositorily, and we've looked at it just in terms of a literal interpretation, and we've learned some historical insights about Israel and about the land, and you're like, this is all interesting, but what does this have to do with me, <laughs> right? It's like, great, I, you know, if you kill someone, don't run to one of these cities. Like, th- there's not refuge for you there, right? <laughs> But you guys, you come across a passage like this, and you're like, well, it's interesting. I don't know how to apply this in my life, though. And and yet, I read the Bible, and I see that that, that all of it is profitable for doctrine and correction and reproof and instruction and righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect and duly furnished into all good works. And what do I do with a passage like this, right? But God desires to teach us things. Uh, There are practical applications and insights that we can pull from this word and from this text uh, that can hopefully transform the way that we live and transform the way that we experience and know and understand God and his character and who he is for us and to us, right? And so the the cool things about these cities uh, is that through looking at them a little bit closer, Lord willing, we'll see that the Lord himself is our refuge, right? That these cities actually are a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Uh, One of the clear things that we can see from this is that God, in terms of his character, in terms of his personality, in terms of his desires, is he desires desires to preserve life. Like that's a big character trait to know about God. He desires to preserve life. The very first thing that he's doing as they're entering into the land is he creates a way for his grace and mercy to preserve the life of someone, even someone that's killed someone else. Wow, that's like that's huge. My God, he, he desires to preserve life. But y'all, as we seek personal application, we have to see that God desires to be our place of refuge, right? In the, the book of Hebrews, uh, I've been studying this out uh, over the past semester. Uh, one of the keys that you can't miss is that Jesus Christ is greater, right? And so you can look through the book of Hebrews and you can see that Jesus Christ is greater than the angels. Have you guys seen angels? Uh, not like in the Bible. Have you seen angels? Man, they're, they're powerful. They're, they're... Yeah. <laughs> but man, people, they can't even talk, right? They, they, they bow down. They're, they're trembling in awe and reverence of a holy creature. And man, Jesus Christ is greater than the angels, right? He, he's a greater sacrifice. We're seeing in the Old Testament these sacrifices constantly being made. And Jesus Christ, man, he, he is the Lamb of God. He's a greater high priest, right? Uh, a greater covenant. And, and y'all, in Jesus Christ, we find a greater refuge. In Psalm verse, uh, chapter 46, verse 1, it says that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. In Proverbs 18, verse 10, it says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. In Psalm 62, verses 7 and 8, it says, In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. Trust in Him at all times. Yet people pour out your hearts before Him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Rest, right? 
And so these cities, they point to God, but more specifically, they point to the person of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, you see, there are six cities here, and as we study out numbers in the Bible, like Pastor Sam was saying earlier about uh, number eight, uh, as you study out the number six in the Bible, you see that six uh, is associated with the number of man, right? It's associated with the number of man. And while these cities are able to save physically, they, they point to a truer picture. They point to a seventh place of refuge, the person of Jesus Christ who's able to save your soul. Who's able to save your soul. And so now that we've kind of established a historical framework and we see that there are six literal uh, cities assigned for cities of refuge where accidental murderers can flee for protection and safety, let's walk back over the passage and consider how we see Jesus as our refuge through the lens of this chapter, right? So again, in, in verse 1 through 3, they're, they're kind of laying out the purpose and the need for these cities. And, and the first thing that I want us to see and to take note of in light of who Jesus Christ is for us is that God appointed specific cities here in this passage, right? And, and for us, God appoints a specific way for our salvation. The point here is that God appointed the cities. He didn't leave them to the discretion of Joshua. He didn't leave them to the discretion of the tribes. They were divinely chosen by himself. And these cities, they didn't change. It wasn't a rotation where every five years they changed the cities. And right, God picked and clearly marked specific cities within the land for a specific purpose. You couldn't just run to any gate. You couldn't just run to any city and, and come to the gate and start making your case and saying, I need refuge. Like, you're going to die that way, right? You had to go to one of the six clearly marked and identified cities that God put before the nation. And in a similar manner, God appointed Jesus Christ as the only shelter for sinners. God appointed Jesus Christ as the only shelter for sinners. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Right? That's an exclusive claim. It's only through me. And in this age of relativity, everyone is professing their own way. Everyone's proclaiming their own truth. And yet, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, Enter ye in at the straight gate. Right? He says that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life. And few there be that find. Right? These are big claims that Jesus is making. I am the way. No man comes to the Father but by me. Narrow, narrow is the way right, that leadeth to life. And, you know, I don't know everybody in this class exceptionally well. Uh, and so I don't know where everyone here is in terms of their walk with Christ. And so I, I feel an obligation to tell you that God is full of grace and mercy. Right? God, he, he saw us and He saw the fact that we were destined for hell. And, and He couldn't bear the thought of it. You see, God, he, he loves you so much that He died in your place. The person of Jesus Christ is fully God and He descended into this human condition. Right, he, he put on flesh and He allowed His creation to butcher Him, to crucify Him for your sake, for, for my sake. Because the wages of your sin, because the wages of my sin is death. And someone had to pay that price. And so Jesus Christ, he came and he paid the price with his own blood that you might have life. Man, praise the Lord for that, right? Straight 
is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth to life. It's only through Christ. And this isn't a proud statement. This isn't a bigoted statement. This isn't a closed-minded view. There's just no other person in human history that lived a sinless life that willingly laid it down with the capacity to save the entire world. Right? Can you point me to any other person that's done that? No. Right? And so this isn't a bigoted, this isn't a closed mind, this isn't a proud stance. This is just truth. This is fact. This is who Jesus is. And this is why he came. And this is why my life is completely different. Right? So if this is new to you, if this is hard for you to digest, uh, man, I'd love to meet with you afterwards. I'd love to, to, to show you the greatest display of love and grace that this world's ever seen. Right? To show you how you can have a right relationship with the one true God. And so, too, we see that God appointed these cities as a display of His grace. God appointed these cities as a display of His grace. And guys, God appointed Jesus Christ as the greatest display of His grace, right? These cities were an incredible display of God's grace. Anyone seeking refuge uh, who is guilty of innocent blood, they could go here and find mercy and find favor at the walls of the city. And so you can imagine, if, if you were living here, it'd be a constant reminder of the extent of God's grace. Right? If you're living in one of these cities, man, in the back of your head, anybody that's coming to the, to, to the gates of the city, man, it'd be a, a constant reminder of the extent of God's grace, wouldn't it? It's beautiful. And just as those slayers were responsible for shedding innocent blood, as we read the Bible, as we consider who we are, we realize that, man, we're, we're responsible for innocent blood too, aren't we? We look at passages like Isaiah 53, and we see that the blood of Jesus Christ is on our hands. In verse 4 of Isaiah 53, it says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he hath wounded, he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. The iniquity of us, right? He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her, her shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgressions of all my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Like, that's my Lord. That's, that's my Savior. I found grace in him. Right? Jesus Christ is the greatest display of grace that this world has ever seen. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Though we deserved punishment, though we deserved judgment, though we deserved hell, though our hands are guilty of Christ's innocent blood, we were extended grace and mercy instead. Wow. 
right? This is, are you seeing this picture? It's beautiful. Three, God appointed these cities for all in need of refuge. God appointed these cities for all in need of refuge. In verse 9, you see a disclaimer that this isn't just for the Jewish Israel people, right? It says these are for the strangers and sojourners in the land as well, whether Greek or Jew, right? Any kind of person can come to this place and find refuge. That's my God, right? God appointed Jesus for all in need of refuge. Everyone, anyone that's in need of refuge, God appointed Jesus for them. God's mercy extends towards us all. He wasn't willing that any would perish, right? He, he so loved the whole world. And in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, it says, For whosoever call upon the name shall be saved. Whosoever, anybody that does that, right? And while the way is exclusive, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So the, the way is exclusive. Well, access isn't, right? Access is available for, for anybody, for whosoever will. Whosoever shall call shall be saved is the claim. And so the way is exclusive, but, but access is free to anybody. That's awesome. This is the coolest club to be part of, right? Except anybody. That's why I'm here. So whether Jew or Greek, there's no discrimination. Jesus' refuge is available to all. And so the question is, well, how will we find this refuge, right? It can feel like a very abstract idea. In this passage, there's literally a physical city, a physical place to run to. But what does it actually look like for me, for us, to find refuge in Christ, right? It can feel, it can seem like a very abstract idea. And so, really, the, the, the next point is it requires us to cry for help. It's really that simple, right? Whether for salvation or, or sanctification, God is nigh, and He's waiting for us to invite Him into our situation. He's a very nigh God. He, he's nigh unto us, right? And He's waiting for us to, to, to cry out for help. In verse 4, we see that the slayer enters the gate of the city, and the first thing he does upon entering into the city of refuge is he declares his case, right? I'm guilt- I, I, I killed someone, right? I, I need help. Will, will you save me? Will you give me refuge? This is my situation. Can you help me out? Right? It's a simple cry for help. And man, would we approach God in the same way? Lord, I've made a mess. I don't, I don't know what to do in this situation. Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. Lord, I realize that this credit card debt is over my... Whatever it might be, Lord, I, I need help. I realize my situation. I see that you are God and I'm crying. I'm approaching you for help, right? Declare our case. You can picture this man that's running into the city. Right, He's running for his life. He enters into the city. He's drenched with sweat. He's probably sobbing because he accidentally took a life of maybe a friend or someone that he didn't mean to. He, he's worried for his family whom he just left behind. He, he's grasping for air as he cries, just help, right? Coming into the city. Like, can you imagine that? Like, yourself in that circumstance? It'd be horrible. Just coming into the city, I, I need refuge. Like, help. Help me. I, I don't know, right? What do you say at a point like that? Lord, help, right? Salvation requires crying for help. And we need to understand that uh, we are in desperate need. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 30, we see that Peter is called out to walk upon the water. And with, when he withdrew his gaze from Jesus and he got his gaze on his circumstance, he began to sink. 
And it says that when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to see, uh, to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Right? He was beginning to sink. He saw his circumstance, and his cry was, Lord, save me. And immediately we see Jesus stretch forth his hand and save Peter from sinking in the water. Right? In verse 31, it tells us a really key phrase. It says, immediately. Yeah. Right? As soon as he called for salvation, Jesus immediately met him where he was at. That's good. right? I need that. Immediately he met him where he's at. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, no matter what your circumstances, right? At all times trust in Him. You people pour out your hearts before Him. And this is such a huge part of seeking refuge in the Lord. It is showing Him where you're at. You read the Psalms and David's constantly pleading his case before the Lord. Do you see me, my circumstance, right? But then he'd go back to, to trusting in the Lord at all times, being put in remembrance of His truth, being put in remembrance of His promises. Right? We simply need to trust in Him at all times despite our circumstance and to pour out our hearts before Him. And Philippians 4 instructs us in verse 6 to be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And what? The peace of God. The peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. So when we are in need of refuge, would we simply cry out to the Lord and make a case? Lord, this is where I'm at. I don't know. Help save me, right? Begin to converse with the Lord, but then to, to trust in His promises. right? To trust in his, his refuge, that He is a mighty fortress, that He is our help, that He is the, the Lord of hosts, right? And like these cities, He is near to help. He's ready to respond immediately at any time. Five, those who find refuge are safe and secure. Right? Once you're in the city, you're good. Right? You're safe and secure. And if you're in Christ, you're safe and secure. Right? Nothing can separate us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. In verse 5, you find that the elders of the city, under no circumstance, are to turn over the slayer to the avenger of blood. Right? And if you compare this passage with Numbers 35, it kind of sheds some more light on the situation. Essentially, as long as you remained in these cities of refuge, you were safe. If you decided to venture outside of that, I mean, game on. Right? But as long as you remained, resided in the cities of refuge, uh, there's nothing that this, uh, the avenger of blood could do uh, to get you. Right? You're protected. You're protected. And the comfort for any believer is that we're secure in Christ. Those who are redeemed of the Lord are secure in Him, and nothing can separate us from His love. In Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39, it really does an incredible picture, job of painting this picture. It says, What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. 
who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? This is a rhetorical question. Of course not. As it's written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Right? This is incredible. It's a refuge because there's safety and there's shelter here, whether in this city, but but most importantly, in the person of Christ, right? There isn't any imminent threat. Here in Joshua, we find that God is not just interested in offering rest, but he's also interested in offering protection. And so the slayer would remain in this city protected, right? But we'd have to remain here really for, for the rest of his days. He'd be taken away from his friends. He'd be taken away from his family. He'd be taken away from his home until the time that he died or until the time that the high priest passes away. Right? And this is the only way to ensure his protection. And this is really a very interesting point because in it we find really a double application. To the Jews, we find that the city of refuge actually is a picture of paradise. Right? It's a picture of Jacob's, uh, uh, of uh, Abraham's bosom. Uh, it's uh, the place of, of temporary refuge. Right? You can look at Luke 23, verse 43. You can see Jesus telling the, the, the sinner on the cross that he's going to see him in paradise. You compare that with Luke 16. Right? Uh, but this place of paradise was a temporary refuge for Old Testament saints. Right? So whenever they died, they, they didn't wake up in heaven, right? Uh, They woke up in paradise. And so, it wasn't until Jesus Christ, our great high priest, until he died, that we see the captivity taken captive, right? Look at Ephesians 4, 8. And we can see captivity taken captive by Jesus Christ, and they're ushered home. It's it's beautiful. And so we find this double application to the Jewish saints, but also for, for us as New Testament believers, right? We are saved by the life of the high priest, and we're freed by his death. That's good, right? And we see this here. Again, you can go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 7, verses 23 through 25, and it says, They truly were many priests, because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, right, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that cometh unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Awesome. Hebrews 6.20 Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest for even after the order of Melchizedek. (laughs) Guys, this is a cool study. Jesus Christ is the great high priest. He is greater, right? Um... Okay, we got to keep moving for, for, for time's sake. Uh, in verses 7 through, through 9, we're going to see these cities identified again. Right? We've got uh, Kadesh and Galilee upon Mount 
uh, Naphtali, uh, Shechem, and Mount Ephraim, uh, Kirjath Arba, uh, which is Hebron, and the mountain of Judah. And on the other side, Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bazer in the wilderness upon the plain out of the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth and Gilead out of the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan out of the tribe of Manasseh. And so again, we see that God picks six cities of refuge. And, and as is often the case, uh, like we saw even with Pastor Sam this morning, uh, names are extremely significant, significant to God, right? And, and as we study out individual words and even individual names throughout the Bible, we learn deeper insights about who God is and, and the messages that he's trying to, to communicate. And so we're going to fly through this, but I want you to see that, that down to the details of the names of these cities, they point to Christ as our refuge, right? Even as we look at the names of these cities. And so if you look at each individual name, uh, whether you have uh, Esword or, or Blue Letter Bible, and you begin to look at the, 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 the roots, the origins of the names, and what they actually mean, you get to, to places like Kadesh, which means holy or righteousness, right? And guys, Christ is our righteousness. You go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, and it says, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Right? And Shechem, it means shoulder. And man, didn't Jesus Christ bear us on his shoulders? You see in Luke 14 that he is the great shepherd. Right? Uh, what man of you, having a hundred sheep... If if he lose one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after that which is lost until he find it. And when he hath found it, he layeth it upon his shoulders, rejoicing. That's my, that's my God, right? He, he bears it on his shoulders, but also he bears the government upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful and Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Hebron means fellowship. And man, Christ calls us his friend. Right? That, that, that's who I am. I'm a friend of God. In John 15, 15, he says, Henceforth call ye not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard my Father I have made known unto you. Bazer means fortification, and in the person of Christ we are secure. In John 6, verse 37, he says, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Right? We, we find fortification, we find security, we find safety in the person of Jesus Christ. Ramoth means high or exalted, and his name is the name above every name. Right? And y'all, we're seated together in heavenly places in Christ. Ephesians 2, 6. He hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Right? Golan means rejoicing. And Philippians 4, 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Are you seeing this? It's incredible. We can't miss it. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. And so just like Christ, these cities are nigh unto everyone that needs refuge. And just like Christ, these cities, they don't discriminate, whether Jew or Gentile, whether black or white, whether rich or poor, whether religious or heathen, this was a place of refuge. The city was a place where people are saved from death, where priests reside and invite others to dwell with them. Hello, somebody. In these cities, people are safe and secure. In these cities, people are constantly reminded of God's grace. In 
And so, yes, Christ is our refuge. But I'd be crazy not to acknowledge the fact that we are the body of Christ, aren't we? We're the body of Christ. And as much as we find a refuge in Christ himself, as whole heart, we ought to be a place where others can experience refuge as well. As a ministry, as the, the church of Christ, we ought to be a place where others can experience refuge, right? Where they can find salvation, where they can find God's grace and mercy, where they can find a, a priesthood of believers who welcome them, who are broken and weary, right? To dwell amongst us. There's so much here, and there's so much need as I look out, man. Uh, as a director uh, of Friends of Internationals, I get to see every day the lives of students. Uh, I think about where me and Lisa live, and every day uh, we get to see uh, refugees and immigrants that, that, that are seeking asylum, that are seeking refuge in Kansas City. And, and would they find a greater refuge in the person of Christ, right? Who has the power to save their soul. That's my burden. So I'm going to close us in prayer. Uh, but I'm going to invite anybody that realizes that they are in need and refuge today. If you aren't in Christ, if you don't know Him as your Savior, uh, then we'll have counselors available that can meet with you. But also, if you are saved, but realize that, that you haven't been trusting God for your refuge, right? Uh, then please come forward. I'd, I'd love to meet with you. There's going to be counselors available. And it's worthwhile to get accountable together and to cry to the Lord. Lord, for help. Lord, Lord, help, right? This is my situation. Help me. And 2 Samuel chapter 22, verses 2 through 3, it says, And he said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. The God of my rock and him will I trust. He is my shield and the horn of my salvation, my high tower and my refuge. My Savior, thou savest me from violence. That is our God. He desires to be a present help in times of trouble. He desires to be a refuge. He desires for you to find peace and grace and mercy and love in Him. And we desire for you to find that here in this fellowship, right? And so I'm going to pray for you. But if you have need, uh, if you need peace, if you need refuge, uh, man, there is time built in for you to respond. And so I love you all. Uh, God, we do thank you for this time. We thank you for weird, obscure passages about cities of refuge, Lord, and how we see your son, Jesus Christ, in them. Uh, you are a present help. And Lord, uh, I have sought refuge and continue to seek you uh, daily, Lord. Uh, and so, Lord, uh, just as we consider who you are, as we consider your character, uh, Lord, I pray that we could learn to appreciate it. Lord, I pray that we could learn to be uh, this royal priesthood of believers uh, that, that can find others in need of help as well, uh, to meet them where they're at, that they can find peace and joy and true refuge in the one person that can save their soul. And so, Lord, we, we thank you for this time together. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.